Marine veteran Jason Boyce from Avenue 7 Media and co-author of The Amazon Jungle talks about the lessons learned on running an Amazon business. Coming up next, I'm Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Whether you're looking to buy your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal helps you cruise into a monthly payment you can afford before you even get to the dealership. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Marine veteran Jason Boyce. Uh, you're with Avenue 7 Media and also the co-author of The Amazon Jungle. Really looking forward to talking about uh, what you guys are doing in the media space and advertising, especially along with uh, Amazon. We've had a number of Amazon guests on the show over the years. Before we do all that, take us back. Tell us what you did in the Marine Corps. Well, hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored to be here, able to speak to your great audience of veterans out there. I feel like I'm at home already. Um, so yeah, so my, my career in the Marines is I was, I was, um, I'm a guy that took eight years to graduate from college and it was like, you know, the Tommy boy. There's a lot of, a, there's a lot lot of people of, that go to school for eight years. Exactly. Uh, yes. They're called doctors. They're called doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got one degree after eight years. So I was kind of fumbling around and I had a business degree and I, um, I was walking through the, um, I don't know, one of the courtyards at my university. I went to Cal State Northridge in, in Los Angeles, and I saw an, a cover on Inc. magazine that showed a lieutenant colonel in dress blue. I, I mean, I didn't even know it was a lieutenant colonel at the time. I didn't know anything about the military. And it said, the best management training program in America, Officer Candidate School. I remember the cover. I remember that magazine. Do you remember cover. that? Oh, yeah. I know it distinctly. Yep. It got me. It got me. I, I, I grabbed it. I walked right down to, you know, the, the recruiting office and I said, you know, I'm, I'm about to graduate from college. I want to join the Marines. And so um, I went in with a guaranteed aviation contract, but you know how the Marines are, right? They're all about the inventory and the grunt. So I actually gave up my aviation contract. You fell to for be, that? I fell for that. Yeah, I totally swallowed that. Hook, line, and seeker, Joe. <laughs> Guilty. Um, hey, I but, thought about um, it at once then, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, during a training accident, I, I, I jacked up both my ankles. And so I ended up being moved from infantry to military police. So I got to ride around in Humvees, which was a much better, much better option for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I did, you know, I spent, I spent about a year in Quantico, Virginia, uh, did some military police training in Fort Lost in the Woods, the Army base, mm-hmm. Fort Leonard Wood, yep. and um, spent most of my time in uh, Camp Pendleton in, in beautiful Southern California. Uh, it was tough. It was tough, Joe. It was really tough being there. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I just had years. one boondoggle <laughs> to Kenya, Kenya, and I just, you know, four years in and out. And yeah. um, I just learned stuff that translates so well to being an Amazon seller in the Marines. And I just wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your transition. Like, what was that like? I mean, you're, you're boom, four years in and out. Um, and yeah. uh, so did that go well for you? Did you have a well laid out plan as far as getting out? Well, you know, I, um, I went home, my family's in Los Angeles. We had family dinner and my brother was saying, Hey, I'm going to start this internet company. I was like, look, I'm getting out in 30 days. Um, let's do it together. I, I wanted to be in e-commerce cause it was hot at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and so it was just a sort of a natural progression. I took my terminal leave check and bought Ari a new computer so that he could actually start working on the listings. Uh, and we were direct to consumer 
with our own e-commerce website. It was, uh-huh. this was before Amazon was even a marketplace in 2002. Um, and then, you know, we started a family business. We, we, we got in contact with a company called Overture in Pasadena, California. These guys invented pay-per-click advertising and they had this small office in Pasadena and they were, you know, you were paying for clicks on the first page of search results across all the different search engines. And we would go down and see them once a month or every other month in their office in Pasadena and say, how can we get more clicks? And it was like a nickel a click to get traffic and life was good. And then Yahoo bought their technology and then Google licensed their technology uh, and turned it into Google AdWords. So we were all over the search engines and then, you know, a year later, Amazon called and picked up the phone and said, we want you to sell uh, your basketball hoops, which is what we were selling at the time. We were drop shipping basketball hoops. We want you to sell your hoops on Amazon. And I said, what are you talking about? You guys sell books. You guys sell VHS tapes. What do you mean yeah. sell on Amazon? And uh, so we, you know, so, so since 2003, we started selling on, on Amazon, built an eight-figure business, had a nice exit. Um, and now I run the agency. And back, back to your original question, Joe, like how was the transition so I was, you know, I left as a lieutenant. I got promoted to captain in reserves after I left. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I said jump and they'd say how high, right? It was easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, if they didn't follow my orders on my unit, then they were in trouble. Right. And try doing that with your brothers when you come out of the military <laughs> and start the family business. And I, I got to tell you, the lessons that I learned as a leader of Marines was was, was amazing. You know, you, you just have this you know, can't lose attitude. You, you will succeed no matter what mm-hmm. you have this amazing confidence. So that has served me well, being able to identify a problem, come up with a plan and execute on a plan. It served me really well. I can tell you there was one area which I've already alluded to. That was a real challenge for me. Like when my brothers who did not have a military background, didn't do their job, I jumped their shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely was a nightmare to them those yeah. first several years and um, I, I have one lesson. We oh, hired a consultant to come to in and help us with something at the time. And uh, these guys were great. And one of the guys came in and said, listen, Jason, I'm going to teach you something that's going to change everything here with your relationship with your brothers because it was really suffering. And he said to me, the right thing in the wrong way is the wrong thing, right? So that doesn't work in the Marine. You could say it however you want in the Marine Corps, you know, everybody knows you got to get the job done. If your commander tells you what to do, yeah. your tenant, your, your, your NCO tells you what to do, you just do it, right? Oh, yeah. Not, not so in the real world. And that really, that message stuck with me. When he said it, it was like a lightning bolt. I was like, God, that makes so much sense. He's like, you're, you're not in the military anymore. Yeah. You have to think differently. You need to get people to come along with it. You can't browbeat them to get things done. It just doesn't work. And I, honestly, I think as a, as a Marine, and other services also, depending on what you did, you almost welcomed somebody talk, talking harshly to you. Like, you, you know, just give me the facts and I don't care if you're yelling or screaming, I'm listening to what you're saying. Got it. Cause you know, it's an intense scenario or, you know, it, it's very important. Whatever you're, whoever's doing the yelling happens to be talking about something important. You, you would just look right past the, how it was delivered in my effect, you yeah. almost preferred it to be delivered in a harsh way. That way, you knew it was real and serious, and so it just it just kept it just kind of fostered that whole mentality about the way we always we would always talk to each other. And uh, I know comments of my of my wife when I get around my marine buddies, and it's just like she's like, "Wow, 
<laughs> you guys are intense. And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah. This, yeah, now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, but. You yeah, just, I mean, that's the culture. That's the environment. Mm-hmm. And you, you learn, you don't take it personally. You filter out, you know, uh, feelings that make normal people in the civilian world feel like they're about an inch tall Yeah, and you just pay attention to the content that's coming across. Right. right. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting and it was a hard lesson learned for me. I couldn't understand why they weren't getting the message. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's saying like, for those of you who are out there getting ready to transition to the civilian world, remember this, the right thing in the wrong way is the wrong thing. And in the civilian world, Talking to folks like they're Marines is the wrong way. <laughs> they can't handle right. it. And, and flip so side that, it. that was like the biggest lesson I learned. That was the hardest part of the transition. Yeah. And you can also, you can, you can, in the civilian sector, you, you can really, you can be saying the wrong thing, but if you're saying it with a happy voice and a smile on your face, everyone's <laughs> loving what you're saying. And even you could be telling them you're firing them and like, well, but, but he was really nice yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wait, didn't you just get fired? Like, Oh, Oh yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> Um, I don't know how many yeah. stories of my own military buddies oh. had to talk about their first experience in the first meeting or whatever in their first civilian job. And they basically just, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, somebody- I remember when I, I bought my first condo and the realtor dropped the ball on something and I went Marine on her <laughs> and she didn't talk to me again. And I was like, what's, what's happening? I don't understand why I thought I said that so well, but I, I just, I, you know, I chewed her ass and she's, wasn't having any part of it. So that, I think that's something, especially the Marines, right? The Marines yeah. and the grunts that come out, you know, grunts from I think the at army. Times, they gotta- people appreciate that lingo and that mentality. If you're, if you use it in, a, in an eloquent way or, or the timing's good, they appreciate that. But like, uh, like an example was somebody was in a, a, a meeting and everyone's freaking out and over and the, and the Marine in the crowd. And this is like him telling me this story. He says, Hey, everybody come, everybody come the fuck down. And they're all looking at him like, he goes, no one's getting shot at. No one's dying. Okay. So we're yeah. good. And everyone's like, why would you use such an example? That's horrible. Well, that's right. What, it's the way we always talked. And at that time, like they understood what he's meant, but it was probably the wrong analogy uh, at the time. And, uh, but anyways. Yeah. Folks can get real sensitive when you use like uh you know, shooting analogies or gun analogies and stuff, weapons yeah. analogies yeah. like that. Kill, so I, I always have to destroying. try to filter myself. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to scare you. I'm not going to get my gun out, but our guns out, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. So keep, take us farther down the road. Um, sure. You're, 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 you're seeing this paper click thing at the very beginning. You got Amazon coming to you asking you to sell your basketball hoops on Amazon. What, yeah. What happened after that? So life on Amazon was so great. I mean, we were trying to crack the code on eBay. If you can imagine back in 2003, eBay was the 800-pound gorilla in online marketplaces at the time. And we hated eBay. It was such a challenge because it's better now, Um, although they don't have nearly the amount of traffic that they used to be able to generate compared Mm -hmm. to the rest of the market. But you could never tell what your total costs were on a listing. Um, you know, it was a mess. The listings were a mess, right? And then Amazon came and developed this buy box. So it was like one product with multiple sellers. And they said, we're going to charge you 15% of every sale, period. We're going to drive the traffic. We're going to, you know, take care of the merchant fees. Every week or two, after you prove to us that you've shipped your goods to our customer, we're going to drop money minus the 15% in your account. And it was a godsend. It was great. And we were like one of two selling 
our basketball category. And then we expanded into home rec, like air hockey, billiards, uh, yeah. foosball tables, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, we, we ultimately expanded into the fitness category, which was a great category for us. So we did a lot of different niche sporting goods mm-hmm. and, you know, it was really great. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, I, you know, I got this book coming out, right? So the Amazon jungle. And yeah. so in this book, there's three different, iterations that happened on Amazon and I uh, not not to do this shameless plug but the premise of the book are Amazon are assholes you should know this yeah. right you should know this going in know your enemy mm-hmm. know what you're getting yourself into you have to be there because they own half half of the online market share second place is Walmart online they have 5% so it's like, you know, second place is a set of steak knives from Glen Gary, Glen Ross. That's, that's Walmart. <laughs> so, so you got to be there because that's where the shoppers are. Right. And then the final thing, if you're going to be there, do it this way. And I, I got to this specific strategy that we outline in the Amazon jungle because of the following scenarios that happened across, you know, 17 years of being a seller. First, I'll give you an example. One of our, one of our brands was Spalding. Joe, we did so much sales online and on Amazon with Spalding in the early years that they used to give my brothers and I all expense paid trips to the NBA All-Star game for like three or four years, four years in a row. They would put us up at the Ritz-Carlton. We'd be in the elevator with Michael Jordan and Shaq, and it was amazing. And um, that's how much business we were doing. We were their number one online seller of basketball products at at one point in time. And so we listed all that stuff. We did all the hard work and the labor to get those listings on Amazon. And then we started to notice our sales started dipping about year four or five. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's 2006, 2007. And we're like, what's going on? And all of a sudden we see Amazon is in this thing called the buy box. <laughs> right? And they're offering our product that we created a listing for, for 20, 30% less. And we call our Spalding and we're like, hey, what the hell? What's going on? They're like, yeah, we're sorry. It's a corporate decision. And we're like, okay, fine. So we know that if we're selling other people's brands, Amazon's going to come in and undercut us on price. So that's yeah. like phase one. Phase two, we're like, okay, fine, Spalding. You like us. We've given you a lot of biz- millions of dollars in business over the last four years. Why don't you give us a unique product based on what we're seeing in the market? We think if you change this hoop, happy to glad, or give us a ball that's a different color with our own unique SKU and UPC code, then um, – you know, then we can continue these sales. So we did that. So we had exclusive product. Nobody else could attach to the buy box because we had this agreement with Spalding where yeah. we own that SKU. Does that okay. make sense? Like a right. sort oh, of an yeah. exclusive product. Oh, yeah. So two or three years, fast forward, Amazon goes to Spalding and says, hey, you don't give us these products that you're giving to these guys, Dazzity Harville. We're going to stop buying everything from you. So, you know, the CEO over there is like terrified. Like we have to, they called me like, Jason, we're really sorry, but we got to do this. So then we're like, okay, screw you, Amazon. We're cre- going to create our own brand. And so we created Harvel and we started to create our own unique product because we knew we would own those UPCs, right? Uh, no, you know, we're not going to sell to Amazon. We're going to sell on Amazon as a third party seller, which is by the way, part of our strategy that we recommend. And that business took off. And we, I mean, when we exited, we were growing 180% year over year. But at the same time, we started to see Amazon see our SKUs and start copying them and put their own brand name. Rally and Roar was a brand name that they copied from our Harvel. And so, you know, look, Joe, Amazon are assholes. That being said, it is an enormous market. There are, you know, 
there's probably they're probably going to be four hundred billion dollars worth of sales that go through that dot com website this year. Um, so even if Amazon is doing this, if you go with the right strategy, create your own brand, and we outline super easy steps for our you know your veteran audience to do that in the book, um, it's the safest way to be on Amazon. All right, hey, that's a good stopping point. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So hold on. Did you know Navy Federal Credit Union membership is open to veterans from all branches of the military? After all, I was in the Marine Corps for 24 years, and I've been a Navy Federal Credit Union member for 30 years. Still have the original account. Whether you served in the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, Space Force, or Air National Guard, you can become a member, and your family can too. My family members are also Navy Federal Credit members. Join over 1.5 million veterans that Navy Federal serves and enjoy 24-7 exceptional service, powerful products created with you and your life goals in mind. Speaking of goals, if buying a car is on your list, you can get a Navy Federal auto loan. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. Right now, rates are as low as 1.79% APR. Plus, you can estimate your monthly payments with their online auto loan calculator before you apply. So whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal can help you cruise into a monthly payment you can afford. I've had many auto loans and, and mortgages too with Navy Federal. And Navy Federal are members of the mission. Insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans and their families. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Rates subject to change and are based on credit worthiness. Rate available for new vehicles. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. All right, back talking with uh, Marine veteran Jason Boyce, uh, Avenue, 7, Avenue, 7, Avenue 7 Media, and uh, also co-author of The Amazon Jungle's new book coming out. So, uh, Jason, before the break, you, you were kind of walking through your experience with Amazon, and you're about to get to, you know, Amazon still as tough as they may be to deal with, you still got to be on Amazon um, if you're going to be anywhere in online sales. So if you just do it the right way, and that's what some of the things your book is talking about. And one of those is, you know, the concept of, of building your own brand. Yeah, it's, um, it may seem overwhelming. And again, Joe, I'm so happy to be talking to veterans because I think this is just a great fit for for veterans, um, also for military family members, spouses of military family members, mm-hmm. um, because you can do this from home. I mean, look, I've had, I think I've had four different moves. My wife is in the corporate world and she moves around jobs a lot to different mm-hmm. cities. And I was able to do that because of Amazon, because you can work remotely right. uh, no matter where you are. You could be on the moon as long as you got good internet. And so the idea, if you've never built a no- your own brand, can be overwhelming. But, you know, we, we lay out some really simple steps in the book. And I came up with this process and this method through making every mistake imaginable and then learning from it. And so the first thing that we talk about in the book is, you know, find something that moves you. Uh, find something that maybe you're passionate about. You don't necessarily have to be passionate about it. If maybe you had a high school job selling products, like, like when I was in high school, I worked at a speaker manufacturing company. So I learned and picked up a lot of stuff about speakers that uh-huh. most people don't know. So that would have been a logical, you know, business for, for me to start. Or, you know, another option could be maybe you live in a town that has some manufacturing capability, or you have connections in a country that has certain manufacturing capability that you can tap into. Um, 
But also, you know, one of the best ways to come up with a product is if you're passionate about a certain product category, you've been buying it in the marketplace and it leaves you wanting, right? It's not quite what you who are passionate about this product like product line would like and and you can ask yourself the question could i make this better and the answer is probably yes mm-hmm. right so that so first you find a product that that you know sort of you're passionate about it or you have a special knowledge you just have special access to sourcing for a product and then so that that's the step one right that's step one that we outline the second step and this is a mistake that i've made i've lost so much money with this mistake then you find out if there's a market for it. You may be happy and love this product more than anybody. And you think that, um, you know, and I tell this story in the book, you think that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but if nobody's looking for this product on Amazon um, already, you're going to suffer. Right. And I'll Mm -hmm. give you an example. I came up with the bright idea, you know, here's Jay's BI, right? Bright idea to make these folding leg tables, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. We're going to take a four foot air hockey table. We're going to put folding legs on the table. So because it's not a piece of furniture, mom doesn't want to see this thing. When you're done, you can slide it under the bed or you can stand it up in the closet and it's out of the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Great idea. Right? No, not a good idea. (laughs) I spent a ton of money. I landed a couple of containers of these things and they just sat. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, there's gotta be a better way than, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars on something that just sits and collects dust in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we came up with this nine ninety nine checkout trick. Uh, it's old, right? And you know the way this works basically is you find a product on Amazon, you 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 click to add to cart, you put a quantity of nine hundred and ninety nine units, you hit add to cart. Amazon will say, "Sorry, we don't have that much," and they'll come back and they'll say, "We've got two hundred." Right mm-hmm. now, you got a baseline, right? I used to do this with spreadsheets. Now there's, you know, software systems like Jungle Scout and Helium 10 that that do this. Then you come back the next day and you do the same thing. You put your item in the cart, 999, and then they come back and it says you got 180 units. So now you know from day one you were at 200. These guys probably sold 20 units overnight, right? right? And if you do that for four to six days, you can create an average for yourself on average this product is selling 20 units a day. You multiply those times, you know, 30 and then times the retail price. Now you know how much this best-selling product is selling on Amazon. And Jungle Scout Chrome extension is out there. I still use it, love it for quick answers. Helium 10's got it out there. So a lot of these software systems have now built this this, this ability in there. Now, if in my scenario, Joe, if I had just done that, before I landed these two containers of these folding leg tables, I would have known that there are no search terms for folding leg air hockey table, right? <laughs> Nobody's looking for it. Yeah. And I would have never made it. <laughs> and so A, find something you're passionate about. B, make sure there's a market for it, right? And then once you identify that there is a market for it, that it's worth your time and treasure to invest into it, then take a look at all the competitors and read all the bad reviews, see what's wrong with it. Right. And then you, you can you can identify themes really quickly by reading the one, two star reviews, even three star reviews. And you can come up with themes. And that way, when you talk to your factory and we'll talk about that as well, when you start to talk about your factory, you can engineer into your product solutions to problems in the marketplace. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really sort of the secret sauce. And now, how do you find a factory? Right. How do you find a factory? Right. So we mentioned that in the book as well. So um, I always. And, you know, we've, we had stuff made in the United States, Mexico, Europe, 
China, Vietnam, Pakistan, all over the world, right? Uh, by the time we, you know, we left our business. And, um, you know, there's a couple of great software systems out there. Number one, the best place to start, if you don't know, if you've got a great idea for a product, you see that there's a market, you think you can make it better, ThomasNet, T-H-O-M-A-S-N-E-T.com. ThomasNet.com is a great resource for factories here in the United States that either are importing your product already or making your product here in the United States. It's a great place to go. Um, you know, you're probably not going to be price competitive with some of the other Amazon sellers if you're not importing it from one of the lower cost labor countries, but it's a great place to start and you might surprise yourself, right? You mm -hmm. might be able to find a factory right here. If nothing else, you'll be able to have an English conversation with somebody <laughs> who knows your product, right? Yeah, right? And you can, you know, develop a spec sheet and you can get some information from them, right? Second place that you can go, we, we use some different softwares, but Pangeva, P-A-N-J-I-V-A.com is a great one. And this software will tell you using U.S. Customs import data, um, what products are being imported from what countries. So you can go into Pangeva, you can type in your product category. Um, you know, in the in the book, I think we use water bottles as one example. You type in water bottles into Pangeva, and you'll see a host of places, factories that are already exporting into the United States. And you can email them. You can get you can get inquiries, and mm -hmm. it's it's a great way to go. I, I learned again, Joe. Another hard lesson learned, right? Alibaba. I I tried to find Alibaba the first time. I found out that you know, it didn't work because Alibaba is loaded with what they call agents, just salespeople who don't really know the product, but they'll connect you with a factory and they don't do a good job of quality control. Mm -hmm. So I learned the hard way. I was like, God, there's got to be a way that I can, you know, I'm flying back from China after a very disappointing meeting. There's got to be a way I can find out who's importing into the United States. That customs data has got to be available. So I was Googling and I found a couple of companies. Panjiva wasn't even around at that point. But they're really good right now. Yeah. And then if you can find some factories, you can get some pricing, and then you can, you know, sort of continue that process there. So, it, any questions so far in that process, Joe? I know you're a seller yourself, so you probably do yeah, some of this I, yourself. I, the, one of the things, if they'll tell you the truth, which they usually do, if you ask them specifically, are, are you a, are you a uh, uh, do you work for the factory? Do you work directly for the factory? Are you an employee of the factory or or the manufacturer, or are you a uh, uh, not trade? Uh, What's the term I'm thinking? A trading of? company. Oh, yeah, yeah. A trading company. Right. Um, I mean, sometimes a trading company might there might be an advantage to going through the trading companies. They know multiple multiple manufacturers, but yeah, oftentimes you, for, in most cases, you want to get direct to the manufacturer and talking to somebody that works for the manufacturer if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all of these factories now they have English speakers on staff. Mm -hmm. Right. That wasn't the case 15 years ago, 17 years ago. Mm. You kind of needed a trading company. But now most of these folks have English speakers and staff and they're very responsive via email. If you reach out to one of those companies that you found factories on Pangeva and they don't respond quickly to your email, let them go. They're a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, in every area, there's six factories making the same thing in China. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I, with some of our products, I've tried my... I've done everything I possibly can to try to find an American manufacturer and most American manufacturers. I can't one. They're hard to find these directories like the Alibaba directory is pretty good these days, but I mean, at least you get you started and, uh, yeah. but most American manufacturer companies, one, they don't even want to talk to you. And if they do want to talk to you, 
it's like a hundred, it's going to cost you like a hundred times as much to even get a mold made or if it's that kind of a product. Um, yeah. so I haven't had good luck. Um, another, uh, not a bad, if you get it developed and made over in China and it starts to take off and you really need it to be made in the U S then you can take what you already have at that point and go, go with the U S side. But I've tried my darn, yeah. darnest to, uh, get a manu- well, manu- manufacturer. Joe, there's a couple of categories that are great to be, have stuff made in the United States. If you're making some sort of skincare products or something like that, mm-hmm. you can find companies here. If you're making cleaning solutions, you know, cleaning products, you can get your stuff made here. One of the things that we made, we were in the swimming pool category at one point, and we had made these sort of foam things, right? These floating things mm-hmm. that are very, very light and take up a lot of space in an ocean container. <laughs> so it was as cost effective for us to get them made here, right? Anything that's really, really big and bulky and super light, you know, some mattresses you can get made here, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're trying to get an electronic made here, good luck, right? If you're trying oh, yeah. to get, you know, spatulas made here, good luck. Ain't going to happen, right? right? So it really is sort of category dependent. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Sometimes these guys won't call you back, but if you get somebody who cares, a smaller, smaller company, you might be able to work something out with them. Maybe they can be your agent. Right. Right. Um, so, so keep on going. Um, okay. You're, so you're having a lot of success on Amazon. You're you're kind of in your third, your third generation Amazon seller at this point. Um, Third iteration. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're, you're starting to build some of your own brands. Um, like, well, maybe I, I can stay on Amazon and keep Amazon from competing, you know, basically taking my products, um, which I, I don't know how many times I've heard that, but, um, <laughs> so, so where are you at? Where are you at at the next point? So we're growing like crazy. Our private label brand is literally on fire. Um, it's growing triple digits month year over year. And, you know, I had to talk about our, when we first launched the home rec category, we thought we were the, you know, we thought we were the man cave company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we thought we were. Right? So, cause we were, that was us. We had, you know, my, my dinner, my dining table was a three in one poker table and billiard table. Right. <laughs> it was like, yeah. so that's who we thought we were selling to. And then we did something that sort of changed our, our approach. So we ran a customer list with one of the list brokers out there and, and there's a lot of good ones out there like managed by stats is out there and a couple others. So we took a list over the last year of all of our customers addresses and we ran it through the listing company and they came back to us with demographic information about our customer. And you know what we learned? We weren't selling man caves at all. Moms were buying our stuff. Really? And, we, and then we looked at our designs and we're like, man, this is cool if you drive, you know, a Trans Am or a Mustang, but the mom ain't going to like this most likely, right? Yeah. So we went completely back to the drawing board and we looked at the competition and we saw, you know, there's all these, these old billiard players, these, you know, billiard players, professional players that made a lot of this product and it looks like old billiard players had designed the product, right? It wasn't, wasn't cool, it wasn't new, it wasn't exciting. And so we were like, there's no sort of gender, gender neutral designs. There's no more feminine designs that are out here. Hmm. And so um, we went back with our, our graphic designers and our product team, and we created a mom line, right? Stuff that was more gender neutral designs. Hmm. 
and the business just took off. So we were the only one that had certain, we had a lot of oranges and blues, like light blues. And, you know, I, I don't want to, we didn't go all in with like the pink, although we had some, you know, pink colors, etc. But it was just more, it was more modern looking, right? Yeah. And in the book, you know, I've got this great example of showing the best selling air hockey table until we came in and designed our own. And by the way, in terms of product design, I was at a surf shop in LA and I saw a really cool looking set of board shorts and it had like blue orange board shorts. Mm-hmm. I took a snapshot of it. I sent it to my designer. I said, that needs to be an air hockey table. <laughs> and so they took those designs and skinned it on one of our air hockey tables and it was beautiful. It was gender neutral. It jumped off of the search results page and we became the number one seller like within weeks of landing. And it was because With the folding legs or without. No, <laughs> no, Joe, I let that one go. I cut my losses on that one and we moved on. No folding legs. And, um, and so that became a number one bestseller because we were designing for our customer, which was moms. Moms were buying these things for their kids. And so we went all in with those designs. So we thought we had this wired, right? So fast forward a couple of years and then right before the holiday season, we've got all this great stuff landed. And I'm like, huh, I'm on Amazon searching for air hockey. I'm like, huh. That looks an awful lot like our Harvel product. And by the way, Harvel's been sold and now it's been rebranded under another name. But mm-hmm. um, I was like, so that's really interesting. Our entire color palette and schemes are being used on a whole line of home rec tables. And then I see from our brands on there. And I'm like, you bastards. So Amazon went out, saw the, the success that we were having using our di- our data, and they created their own private label brand using our color schemes. And I was like, man, this ain't right. Wow. Now, look, by the time we exited, we were still crushing their sales numbers. But back to my premise, right? Amazon are assholes, Joe. And so you got to know what you're getting yourself into if you yeah. cross the line of departure. Right. Um, but I, I still think, you know, I get calls all the time from my agency, Avenue 7 Media. Folks are saying, yeah, I'm a reseller. I'm like, I can't help you. You're going to continue to see all of your product sales diminish over the next year, three years, 10 years to the point where you're not going to have any business anymore because you can't compete with Amazon retails pricing. You just can't. And so having your own brand is nice, but this is, this is the other sort of next level when you create your own brand and you become an Amazon bestseller in your brand, Joe, all of a sudden we started to get phone calls from retailers saying, Hey, we want you to sell your brand to us. Right. Hmm. And Wayfair called and, you know, home goods called and I didn't have a sales rep. I didn't even know how to do that kind of business. Right. Yeah. We were just Amazon guys. And so if you can go out there and you can think of Amazon, not as your end game, but really as your beginning game where you can go in there, launch a product out into the wild, Listen to what the Amazon customers are saying. Read all those negative reviews and don't take them personally. It's kind of like getting your ass chewed in the Marines, Joe. You know, don't mm-hmm. take it personally when someone's pissed about your product. Right. Take in the information. Go back to your factory and say, hey, can we fix this the next time we reorder? Mm-hmm. And then update your listing to let people know. You do that enough times, you get four and a half, five, five stars on your product on a regular basis and other customers will appear. And that's when you really find your happy place, right? Because you're not so dependent on Amazon anymore. You can sell mm-hmm. to these other chains as well. Yeah. Wow. So are you, are you still are you still selling on Amazon yourself? 
I, I am not. I'm uh, happy to not be managing my own inventory anymore, mm-hmm. and I am 100% an Amazon agency. So we've got scores of clients with their own private label brands that we help them succeed. We do everything from, well, we do listing optimization, mm-hmm. and that's where you know my co-author Rick uh, Rick Cesari, who yeah. you know who, who launched the George Foreman Grill and yeah. OxyClean and all those TV commercials back in the day. Wow. He, he's a really good friend and insanely knowledgeable in terms of the psychology of selling. And he trained me and my team on how to list items to sell. So that's like the first thing we do when we take on a new client is we go in, we do SEO, which is pretty subjective these days, do the search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. But the second piece is knowing how to list a product with the right messaging, the right benefits, putting the benefits first of your product spec second. Um, I'm always amazed when we go in and optimize a client's listing. Because like at the end of the day, Joe, they don't care about the specs. They don't want to have to, most people don't. And there's, there's, there's 20% of the shoppers that want to do that. But if I, I don't want to know, I don't know, I don't want to know the spec. I want to know what I get when I give you my credit card. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's the majority of shoppers. And Rick taught me this and we incorporate that. He's got a couple chapters in the book where he talks about this. So we'll do listing optimization We'll manage FBA if you want us to. We'll create the shipments for you and manage it for you. We'll run the ad campaigns. Um, and then when, not if, your listing gets taken down by Amazon due to no fault of your own, we'll get it back up for you before you know it's down <laughs> most, in most cases. Um, and um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the agency. So we're, we're constantly iterating. We're doing a lot of that work where we're reading the bad reviews, giving feedback back to the client, and we help our clients grow in that way yeah. using those methods, those hard lessons I learned the hard way, losing my own money uh, and coming up with solutions for it. That's, that's what we do as far as our agency goes. Yeah. So at, at Avenue 7 Media, how do you cost that out? How do you, how do you come up with a cost structure for the, co- for the customer? Um, when you're providing those, because a lot of that stuff you're talking about isn't cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's, it's very, it's all in the gray area in many cases. So um, yeah. how do you price that out to people, especially, and how sure. do you, how do you deal with the, the new Amazon seller that's smart enough to know I need help with all this stuff and I don't really want to have to figure it out myself versus somebody who's been doing it for years, but has finally admitted that maybe they're not that good at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I love those. I love those folks, right? Because awareness is the first step uh, <laughs> to success in most cases or to healing. And uh, I love when those folks call because I can get them on the phone and probably within 10 minutes, I can tell them, yeah, we can double your revenue. On average, we double the revenue of everyone who calls us and signs on as a client. There's of course some wildly high, we, we extrapolated those out. We have some you know, folks that we took from zero to a million a year and, and others with our agency. But, you know, back to your first question, how do we cost that? So we have a, we have a fee structure where we charge a setup fee for listing. And I do that just to make sure that folks are, are with us. Uh, In the beginning of my agency, and look, we're pushing two years now. The beginning, I didn't charge a setup fee. We did all this work and then folks would disappear. They just didn't have the intestinal fortitude to continue. So now we charge a setup fee. Uh, it's a per parent ASIN SKU. And then we charge a monthly management fee. And then I like to say, I like to say, Joe, you can't hire one U.S. full-time person for the price that we charge to do what our team of seven departments can do for your listings, right? Mm. And, and so that's, that's what we say. And we, we do a monthly management fee. 
We get a little bit of upside. If you've already existing business, we'll take a, a cut of incremental increase in sales. If you're brand new, we'll do a monthly minimum or the greater percentage of sales mm-hmm. minus returns and cancellations. And that's, and that's how we do it. And it, it works really well. Um, it's a great question because when I first launched the agency, I had no idea how to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that model where we have a setup fee to make sure that the client's invested and then we, we get a monthly management and we handle it. We, you know, we're like a plug and play full team. You need a full team. You, can't, you couldn't hire me, Joe, one guy, to do what my team can do. Mm-hmm. Right? And I know it all. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this nearly 20 years yeah. and you, I can't do what my team can do for you. You know, so yeah. um, it's almost like you need as many staff members and areas of expertise as you would need to have success with your dot com, with your mm-hmm. own website. Right. Um, it's okay, crazy. So, if you're an Amazon seller, what parts of being an Amazon seller does the Amazon seller need to do, and what parts do they need to hand over to Avenue Seven Media or or another uh-huh. agency like yours? Well, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, if you're a solopreneur, you're just getting started. Um, you know, it, you, first you have to know thyself, right? Know what your capabilities are, right? Part of the planning process. What is it that I'm really good at, right? And then identify what you're not really good at. And then the stuff that you're not really good at, you find a contractor to come in and do it. So for example, these are some of the things that you need to know. You need to know um, search engine optimization, right? I think it's even, it's critical. Uh, if you're not duplicating the highest volume, most relevant keywords in your listing in the right places, if you don't know how to do that, you need to hire somebody who does because that's mm-hmm. half the ball game. Secondly, um, you need someone who can write, who can write really compelling uh, copy, right? And if you're out there, solopreneur, I'm going to tell you a saying that, that I want you to repeat, type it out, put it on your wall. Features tell, benefits sell. So if you're doing your own writing out there, you're a good writer, ask yourself, what's in it for me, the customer, when I buy my product, right? And, you know, what's an example? I, this is an odd example, but we, uh, this is a friend of mine. We did some listings for them, not a fully managed client, but we just did the listings and they sell fertility supplements, right? And he's a pharmacist. And he's got like a 900 pound brain mm-hmm. and he's writing all of these specifications and details about why his supplement to help couples get pregnant is so great. And I'm like, dude, that just went over my head. <laughs> we came back and we said, you know, you know, the messaging, uh, it's not exact, but we, we came back with a header that said the fastest way to your happy family, right? The best way to your happy family, mm-hmm. you know, jumpstart your fertility today. Right. Yeah. Not like how many milligrams and all these different scientific things. Right. Nobody yeah. knows about that except pharmacists and you're not selling to pharmacists. Yeah. So, you know, his conversion weights went, went through the roof. That that's a good thing to do. So you need to be able to write, you need to be able to do SEO. You need a graphic designer. If you as a solopreneur know how to do that, right. I don't then, you know, go to Upwork, find a graphic designer that you can have, turn your additional images into you know, a good friend of mine uh, says this all the time. You want those additional images to look like high gloss magazine ads. You want writing yeah. in them that talk pulls out the benefit and you want happy aspirational people either interacting with your product or pulled from stock images and placed in there. Right. Again, it's the psychology of selling that Rick taught me, you know, so many years ago. And so you need to be able to do that, right? 
Customer service is another tricky one, right? I think any solopreneur should be able to do that. And it's a great way to find out what, what customers are still wanting from your product so that you can improve it when you reorder, right? right. Ad- advertising is another one, right? I mean, see, look at how many things we're talking about to have success on Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, you can, there's lots of software companies that are out there. Um, I recommend if you're a solopreneur trying to build your own campaigns, um, um, yourself just so you can have an understanding and then find either a software company or an agency that can take it from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then you need to know, you know, how to manage inventory. Um, if you don't, you know, you don't know how to manage inventory, you're not going to be around long. So that's where you can go out and hire a contract CFO or a senior accountant who has experience with managing inventory and making sure you're not buying too much, but also making sure you're not running out of stock. So again, if you're an accountant and you're launching or you've got an accounting background, you could do all this yourself. But if you can't, then plug and play the folks that you need to build your team. And you can do it on a contract basis so that you're not, you know, stuck with payroll. But I would avoid payroll as best you can and just build a nice network of of contractors if you can. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, Joe. I don't know if that answers the question. No, it definitely definitely gives gives you an idea of of, uh, the broad range of uh, skills and expertise required to be successful on Amazon. It's not just about the product. Um, yeah. And that some, you know, I was the same way. Like I, I had the misconception that all you got to do is have a good product when it goes on Amazon, it'll sell. Yeah. The, that's not if the way you it build it, they will come. That only works in field of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Hey Jason, uh, um, your, your, your book that you, that you guys just came out with the Amazon jungle, um, is it available on Amazon? You know, for now, I poke Amazon in the eye a little down. bit, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for them to take it down. We're number one hot seller right now in they our category. Se- yeah, do they censor books that are non-favorable towards Amazon on their own platform? That's- to be continued. I know, I've heard <laughs> stories in the publishing world where they've done it. So we'll see. So far, so good. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Barnes & Noble. You can buy it on Books A Million. Our publisher, Morgan James, has done a great job getting it out there. So if you hate Amazon, you know, I have a love-hate, mostly hate with Amazon. But if you want to buy it somewhere besides Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million, yeah. and you can get it there or some, some, some other smaller bookstores. But awesome. yeah, thanks, we'll thanks for th- asking. We'll try to throw a link in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, so, okay. So Jason, last question. Um, and then we got to go. If you're talking to somebody that's in the military going through transition, just got out and they really want to get into the world of entrepreneurship, whether it's Amazon or something else, what comes to mind? What kind of advice would you have for them? Well, first of all, if you're leaving the military, you are tailor made and trained for success as an entrepreneur. And the nice thing that I would tell you about being an entrepreneur, yeah, it's hard work. It's not any harder than what you've been through in your life as a military veteran, right? Mm-hmm. You can do this, number one. Um, number two, I would say um, the, the other really nice thing about it, there's no cap on your income, man. You work hard. You work hard and you will be rewarded. It's not like getting a job where you're stuck at a salary and hopefully you get a raise every year or two. So, I mean, those are some of the reasons that I really love it. The tax deductions are amazing, Right. I, I highly recommend everyone who's had success in their military career to, to really think hard about becoming an entrepreneur. And the last bit of advice that I would give them is, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. Don't him and haw to get that perfect plan. Remember, you know, I, I know you know this, Joe, always have a plan 
never fall in love with your plan because the minute you cross the line of departure, your plan goes to shit, right? right. You got to be able to adapt, right? Yep. That's what they, they instill into us as Marines. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know the other branches of service have similar sayings as well. Get the thing to 70%, 80% and put it out in the wild. Don't, you don't, don't wait to be perfect. You will become perfect over time when you take in that feedback and you make take action based on that feedback. That would be my best. Because sometimes folks have a failure to launch because they're too nervous or afraid. Go, jump, do it. Yep. Get it out in the wild and learn from it and you will succeed. Yep. All right. Jason, great advice. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We could talk for hours about Amazon. So I'd like I know. to but we'll have to have you on the show. Uh, come back around uh, maybe next year when we get through all this COVID stuff. I'd love it. All right, I'd love it, to your future success. And uh, thank you for sharing your uh, military entrepreneur success story. Thank you. Pleasure right. to be here. You bet. These two Marines are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.